it was reported in the news on Friday that an important event occurred in our nation's capital a week before then. Um, in that capital, a group of children came to sing in the very center of the capital. That group came and flew from Greenville, South Carolina. You may or may not have known of that. And they were starting to sing our national anthem when a policeman, Capitol policeman, came up to them and told them they were not allowed to sing the national anthem in the Capitol because that would be considered a demonstration or worse, it could offend somebody. Now, we're not going to talk about politics tonight. We're not even going to talk beyond what I've just told you about that event. But I think this speaks well to how our world is changing from certainly when I was growing up and the world we're facing today. You see, the world is dividing into two separate groups. You may say, oh, no, it's dividing into countless groups. No, it's two groups. Two key groups that are major, have a major warfare between each other. And I believe it potentially could be a fight to the death, both physically and spiritually. No, the division is not among political lines. It's not over economics. It's not over geography. But it is between Christianity and the pagan world we live in. I believe Paul warned us about these very days and what we could expect in 2 Timothy 3.1. He wrote, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 4 to 6, he told us how to react or respond to it. He said, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief, Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We're not of the night and not of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Each Sunday as I teach my Sunday class, my Bible study we have, I stress that God has a plan and purpose for history that is moving toward a conclusion. And I also stress that I believe we are moving toward that conclusion and that we are probably, I can be wrong, I have been occasionally, entering the final days of the church age. I believe it's increasingly likely that we may soon be caught up or raptured to heaven to join our Lord just prior to the seven-year tribulation. But if Christ tarries, we must understand what most Christians fail to recognize, that it is a, there is significant demonic activity occurring all around us. And knowing that that's going to increase with each day as we move closer to those days that Satan knows his days are coming to a close in this world. Paul indicated that we need <clears throat> to understand what most Christians fail to recognize. That is, that that activity is a sign of the coming of Christ, for one, but number two, the sign that the warfare is increasing 
in our world. Paul said that this warfare is going to affect our thinking in every way, and it will affect the churches as well. He said in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly speaketh that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's the word demons, in case you're not sure. So we're talking about the spiritual world. Notice important, shall depart from the faith. This word, the faith here, refers to the proper biblical teaching or doctrines that we teach. As I said the last time I spoke, and Pam made the comment, nobody will remember that, but in case you do, the last time I spoke here, I believe that it's becoming an increasing problem in our churches today, and I see it every week through communications to our ministry. All this is to say simply, the battle lines are being drawn right now. The lines are between believers and unbelievers. The war isn't just around the world around us, but I believe it's coming to the churches today. As we approach the coming of the Lord, Satan is desperately trying to get a tighter grip on culture in a very futile and vain attempt to keep control of his kingdom and to stop the Lord's return to reestablish Christ's kingdom on earth. With the coming of the seven-year tribulation, Satan's attempts will reach a pinnacle of evil and lawlessness, for God will have drawn the restraint of the Holy Spirit out of the world when he takes the church with it. Until that day, the only obstacle Satan faces to preventing him from losing his kingdom, the only obstacle is created by Bible-believing Christians who stand for the Lord in a very darkening world. Whether you like it or not, <laughs> you and I are a threat to Satan and his world system. Therefore, Satan's demons are going to be for focusing upon every believer in the world. He has to do that to weaken and destroy us in this spiritual war. The day of half-hearted Christianity, it's over, folks. Now, you may get discouraged. You may get fearful. You might say, oh, I don't want to hear this. This is supposed to be a happy, uplifting message today. And I understand how we can react. I go through that at times. But you see, God's given us assurances that he is going to help us through this time until he removes us. His first assurance is about the future. The commander of our army, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to come back for his bride. That's us, if you know Christ as your Savior. He's going to come back for us. He's going to take us up to be with him before the really bad time comes, and we will be with him forever from that day forward. For he told us in John 14, 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So the future is very bright. 
But now the second assurance is an assurance for us today. He wants us to know that we're in a war, yes, but we are armed with the most powerful weapon in the world. Far greater than any A-bomb, far bigger than any tank or any weapons. He has given us the greatest spiritual weapons to fight the battle. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at the weapons of our warfare. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, beginning with verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. He's speaking to believers and unbelievers in a local church. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thought that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This passage assures us that we are safe, that we are protected, that we have the power and we have the means to bring victory in our world. It's all contained here. Now you may say, oh, this guy's getting overly dramatic. Oh my, he's getting panicky. No, I'm not. Notice what Paul described this as. The weapons of our warfare. Warfare is a tough thing to be involved in. Uh, we have one young man here who's being trained in case that should happen. He knows that the training wasn't simple, wasn't lighthearted. <laughs> Aren't we all neat soldiers? But it is serious. And Paul wants us to understand the same thing. He wants us to understand that our war that he was fighting and we are fighting is a mighty spiritual battle. He was fighting the battle way back here in Corinthians, in Corinth, in the church. It was a spiritual battle there. Notice verse 4. He says, the weapons of our warfare. Notice he didn't say, the weapons of my warfare is. No, no. He's speaking to believers now. Us, our warfare. So let's see, first of all, what Paul was facing in his warfare of his day, and then we'll look at what we're facing in our day. Corinth was a thriving capital city of a major Roman province. It was steeped in Greek and pagan thinking. False religions thrived along with a blatant disbelief in the true God. Now, this will sound a little familiar, maybe. It was a pluralistic, I can't get that word out, pluralistic, <laughs> or diverse society. It was as diverse as you could possibly imagine in the Roman Empire. Moral 
depravity was legendary in this ancient pagan world. Corinth was the example of depravity. In fact, it was so bad that it was typically called a sailor's paradise because every moral depravity you could think of occurred in Corinth. It was in this city that a struggling Corinthian church lived, worshipped, worked, and fought during the middle part of the first century. Now, it's very hard for us, at least to me as I've read it, to see how could this church have any problems? Paul spent 18 months teaching the Corinthians what the Christian life was all about. If there was an ideal church, it would seem that would be it. But it was far from that. He had to send them two letters to correct them. And the church had become divided by a spiritual warfare between biblical teaching on one hand and pagan pagan philosophy on the other in the church. Paul's solution, and interestingly now, almost 2,000 years later, he offers the same solution to us here in this passage in 2 Corinthians 10. Notice, Paul indicates that there are only two paths to take in spiritual warfare. Notice at the end of verse 2, he says, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. By walking according to the flesh... Paul was speaking of the progress or path that you take in life, how you're moving through it, and what directions you follow. When I went to Britain, it was hard to find anything. And I looked for directions. You'd see a sign and say, I think that's it. And you'd go that way, and you'd find out you went the wrong way. The walk of life says that you, as a believer, if you know Christ is your Savior, you're seeing road signs. Those signs are this, this, this. And Satan's throwing up signs you're going to have to choose what signs to follow. Otherwise, you'll be misled too. But it's interesting. It wasn't like in Britain. Sometimes there's five or six roads you can leave from one roundabout. In this case, there's just two roads that divert. You have to choose which one over and over in your daily life to be sure you're on the right path. Furthermore, this isn't a war you can sit out. You can't say, I don't think I want to participate. I'll just, you know, I'll sit on the side. No, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in the war. You did that when you received him. You say, well, when I received Christ, I just thought of all the blessings I was going to get, you know, heaven and everything else, and isn't this going to be wonderful? Well, Paul is going to say to us, and you'll find it throughout the scriptures, you chose to be in Christ's warfare, whether you knew it or not. The choice of whether we walk according to the flesh or according to the will of God will be ours. One path is very easy. It's getting easier in our world. The other path is very hard. And your choice will determine whether you either have victory or failure in this life. 
and when you face our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we were born, each of us were born, we're born into Satan's world. He is the God, little g, of this world. This is his kingdom we're in. Our nature was to follow his ways and methods for living before we received Christ. You know, you look at some kids and you say, how can they do that? Well, it's Satan's world. That's what they've grown up in. We are all born with an old nature if you've received Christ. You have a new one now, too. But that old nature is going to follow Satan's path by nature. It's just natural. It's for us. Something we need to remember. Some people say, that's all right. I like the path I'm on. This is the best thing there is. And we know that Satan is leading them on it. But never forget, Satan only uses people. He's a manipulator. He has no love for them. Satan didn't die for anybody. Satan hasn't come into the world to give you a wonderful life. He could care less about you. He just wants to use you against God. And his tool is to use you counter to God's plan and purpose. Now, Satan tries to deceive us into believing that his way will lead to a successful life. And he does that always by deception. We're not going to study it tonight, although Paul Chaplin, our bulletin, does refer to it. That's Ephesians chapter 6, the weapons of our warfare. I'm not going to get into that tonight. I've done it through some videos. But I would like to give you just a quick summary of those weapons and contrast it to Satan's weapons. In Ephesians 6, we read that instead of the belt of truth that God gives us, Satan's army fights by manipulating facts, opinions, and people, for he's the father of lies. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, his army fights with promises of pleasure, success, and greed through unrighteousness. Instead of the shoes of the gospel, his army fights with smooth words, deceptions, and that there is no God, no future responsibility to that God, and there is no hell either. And, obviously, it's contrary to the gospel because there's no deliverance from his world. Instead of a shield of faith, his army fights with the perception of self-power, self-reliance. You can do it. It's a lie. Instead of the helmet of salvation, his army fights by lording over the authority of God in every place and culture and society that it can to show that Satan is more powerful than God. Instead of the sword of the Spirit, that's God's word, his army fights by denying and distorting the scriptures in every opportunity it has. Until you grasp that Satan and his world is diametrically opposed to God's way, you're not really ready to fight the battle. You can't understand the necessity of fighting the battle for yourself, for your family, and those you love. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, what? 
of the darkness of this world. Paul couldn't say it clearer. This is a dark world. And then he says, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You need to realize who's your enemy. It's not the government. It's not your boss at work. It's not the world around you. It's Satan who is the real enemy we must deal with. Don't fool yourself. I keep stressing this. I can't say it enough. Neutral you cannot be. If I could sing, I'd almost burst into song here about neutral you can't be. (laughs) But I won't because you won't like that singing. All right. Only two paths, only two commanders. You have to choose which one you're following in this warfare. When you are born again, as the scripture says, you are born anew with a new nature. You don't have to follow Satan's path. That new nature says you don't have to follow it anymore. You're not captive to it. You have a freedom to walk in God's path. Now, this is, to me, a very beautiful teaching of the scriptures that God, when he created us in his image, gives us a free will. Unfortunately, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can't control my free will because it does things I really don't like. Oh, I'm starting to sound like Paul, aren't I? But we can bring it to where it needs to be because God's given us the freedom to choose. And that's a wonderful blessing, but it can also be difficult for us. Success or failure depends upon us and how we use the weapons of our warfare. First of all, we need to realize, after all this, we can't win on our own. We're going to lose. Notice verse 4 again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. We're fighting against strongholds to the pulling down of strongholds. I lived near Edinburgh Castle and Edinburgh City in Scotland for several years. And I would go up to that castle. Now, it just happened my grandmother, as a wee girl, lived in that castle compound because it was a military compound. And I walked up to that castle one day, and I looked up at the walls. And I can't look up too high or I'll start getting dizzy. But I looked up at those walls. They're feet thick. They're extremely tall. And I thought to myself, if I were a soldier approaching that, you know what I'd do? I'd say, I give up. I can't lick it. The word stronghold is meaning that very thing. It's this incredible fortress that you're trying to fight that when you look at yourself, you're puny, little soldiers trying to fight it. Now, strongholds are almost impenetrable by their nature. So stronghold here, though, if you study it carefully, isn't some kind of physical barrier that we're facing in life. Paul is speaking of wrong thoughts and wrong perceptions that contradict the true knowledge of God. Look in verse 5, against the knowledge of God. Those are the strongholds we're talking about here. Those are the ones we have to recognize. They're against God and the very nature and who God is. Now, a Bible teacher named David Guzik He made the following statement, and I thought it was well done, so I'm going to just basically quote it. Strongholds in our life are when we are in the habit of thinking the way the world thinks. To allow deep roots in the heart and mind so that they color all of our actions 
and thinking. It's very hard to let go of the thinking that values the things and ways of the world. But God's power can break down these strongholds. You see, it's a problem that you've got right in your own head and my head that we have to deal with. Strongholds are anything that we rely upon, including ourselves, our logic, our own thinking, that denies truths that are clearly taught about our God and who he is. Totally contrary to him. And as you look around the world today, you see that kind of thinking is proliferant throughout the world. So the greatest strongholds that we have to deal with are our own thinking. These strongholds are Satan's attempts to discern, disarm us by discouraging us to alter our knowledge and thinking about God. Verse 5 says, casting down imaginations, that's reasonings, and every high thing, that's thoughts, that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Satan wants us to always view God through the lens of human reasoning. Oh, this is how God would act because that's how my reason says he would do. And we can't do that. We have to follow what the scripture says. Satan doesn't want us to call upon God in believing prayer. Satan doesn't want, wants us to forget what God has done in the past. Some night I'd love to tell you just the story of how the Lord got me through Bible school. It's incredible. One simple sentence on a phone call, I said to a man, I said, could you use an engineer by any chance? I was ready to assemble garage door openers. And the guy said, can you get in here right away? And it took care of us through seminary. The Lord did it. So you need to remember back times he did things in your life that could have been no other explanation except that God did it. That's the God of the Bible. Satan wants us to think that we don't have enough faith to fight the strongholds in our own mind. Now, I find that interesting. As I study the scriptures, I increasingly see that our faith is crucial to our spiritual life. But you know what? I only know of one verse, I'm sure there's more, but only one verse that gives a sure-fired way to have stronger faith. That's Romans 10, 17. It says simply, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This word faith, it's not talking here about having saving faith to become saved. You're already saved if you've believed Christ. This is a talking about your daily living in, living out faith that you have to live. It is saying that we have to utilize the mighty power of God to pull down strongholds. We have to read and study our Bible. That will give us more faith. It isn't something you say, I just got to work at this. I can do it. You've got to say no, and you read the word of God. And faith cometh by hearing the word of God. We need to understand the true God of the universe. Don't forget who he is. He's the creator of it all. It's been said that prayer is the means by which our faith expresses itself. Because when we pray, we're praying to an unseen, true God and asking him to intervene. Have you ever realized that according to the Bible, we are challenging the rulers of darkness? That's demons. I'll just be honest with you. I get a little scared at that idea. 
I, I would rather just say, I'm going to walk with an angel. An angel protected my car today. I like angels. But demons are a different thing. But you know, when you think about it, if you th- think, of, think of that it, we're in a world of darkness and demons, and you're sitting at the bottom of that fortress looking up, I don't know about you, but I'd say, I can't win. I can't do it. I'm going to be a failure. But God tells us that we don't have to rely upon ourselves. He says, notice carefully here in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, now I've underlined this, through God. It's through God that we can pull down strongholds. Key to winning is to recognize that our weapons are mighty through God. Now, you've heard over and over the word mighty means dunanimous, or I like a better term than tremendous power. I like the term dynamite. This dynamite's powerful. Ever wonder why castles don't exist today and aren't built today? I mean, man, you could try to fight against them and you walk up to them and they drop a boulder on you and you're done. But why don't we build castles anymore? It's very simple. Gunpowder came into being and then dynamite came into being and you put those to those strongholds and they're gone. So why waste the money building a castle? God's power, according to this verse, is a mighty or a dynamite to the strongholds you're facing in your life. It is a power that can overcome anything. And notice the key word here is through mighty through God. That literally means it is to flow through you. It's not going to happen over here. It's going to come through you. God has chosen to limit his power through you in that way. It can overcome Satan. You see, don't forget Satan was created by God, not the other way around. Satan is an angel. He's not God. His power is limited. Now, the world is trying to tell us to think that what is right, what is moral, what is success is what the world says it is that we live in today. Through the media, through every avenue, Uh, Even libraries are working on it now. My daughter faces that situation. Though all of society is saying, think this way or else. You know what it's saying about you if you don't think their way? You are dangerous to our society. You as a believer are dangerous. Or offensive. That's a favorite term today. Yet the Bible warns us to view them as man's reasons and man's ideas that are against the true knowledge of God. Notice verse 5, against the knowledge of God. That's what the issue is all about. What is God truly like? If we try to logically fight the strongholds by using our arguments, our reasoning, politics, whatever, I don't care what you think you can do it, by perhaps compromising the world, we've lost the battle. Then and there, it's over. We need God's power, and that's all. Many churches today are compromising left and right. Part of our ministry is dealing with that. I saw recently, and we ministered in the United Kingdom for many years, 
that today less than 4% of the people of England attend any church. I don't care whether it's a real church or not. Any church, less than 4% even go. One way I've seen Satan use a stronghold is to create a sense of fear of losing friends, losing family, or losing a job in order to keep us captive to his path. I get many emails and phone calls each week from people asking, what do we do? This, our church is changing. How do we handle this? Help me. Our church is getting away from clear biblical teaching and doctrine. I had one man call me, and he called me actually several times. His church was becoming Calvinistic, doing away with evangelistic efforts and stopping any prophecy teaching, because prophecy is crucial, and Calvinism has to counter biblical prophecy. As I talked to him and talked through about God's teaching from the scriptures, he finally looked, listened to me on the phone, and he says, I guess it means we've got to leave this church. It's too far gone. I said, yes, it's too far gone. Get and find a Bible-believing church. Just then, <laughs> I heard his wife come on the phone. She had been listening to everything I was saying. And she says, do you know what that means? I have to leave my friends and the choir. That was her whole world. And we shake our heads. But you know, it's harder in our own life because there are pressures on us, too. Just the same. And I said, yes, but you're going to have to trust God that wherever he leads you, if he leads you into a good Bible-believing church, you will find true Bible-believing, living friends in that church that will make your other friends look as phonies. And much later, I got a phone call. said, after much discussion at home, <laughs> and I could picture it, <laughs> they decided to leave. And they found a church. And they said, this is totally different. These people are different. And they could go on following a biblical lifestyle. I could go into many stories about that. In fact, one church we're dealing with right now struggling through these very turmoils. See, human reasoning and logic says God and his ways will not make you happy in the world or will separate you from things you think are important, people, family, jobs. But that's a lie of Satan that he uses to get us to follow our old nature's logic and reasoning that is always contrary to our new nature that's in us. In verse 6, this is a very difficult verse. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I read that and I said, huh? I don't get it. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar. Get that idea out of your head. Any verse you can understand, but it takes work and study and research and digging into that verse. So that's what I did. I started looking into it. I find out that obviously readiness I could understand. It means to speak of a preparation to hear God. The whole emphasis in here is hearing. You say, well, I, I just don't see about hearing. Where are you getting that from? Well, the word disobedience and obedience at root are about hearing or throwing away what you hear and saying it's useless. So God is simply saying here that if you really want to deal and fight this battle, you've got to hear correctly and not dismiss the truth. 
So when you hear the scriptures, and it's clearly taught as the scriptures, and you understand it, you've got to hear it and not say, I don't need that. I'll work this problem out in my own methods. That's what it's all about as a soldier. So therefore, readiness requires discipline, study, training of yourself. Self-discipline is your biggest enemy. Needing to take every opportunity to go get more understanding and knowledge of God so you can trust him. You need to be in church. It isn't a good social club to be in. It is, by the way, I think so. But you need to be learning and taking every tool you can get. Uh, we were talking in Sunday school this morning, I'm hoping soon to put up a new video series on how to study your Bible, how to get out of the verses what is there, and how to, <laughs> for some, to be able to teach it and preach it to others. But you have to be taught the skills, the tools, like any skill. Uh, I respect Mark back here. He drives a big truck. I wouldn't know how to begin to drive such a truck. I don't think he hopped up in the cab and said, okay, let's go. Shoo! Off he went. He trained. We need training. It requires then obedience and application of what we know about God. That's a hard part. When you're really down, struggling, and the pressures are great, in Britain, people are losing their jobs because they've said to somebody, I'll pray for you. It's hard to say, but I'm doing the right thing, and if I lose my job, I lose my job because God can help me from there. And by the way, you could still be out of work for two, three years because God may have wanted to give you a real time of study. But you have to say, I'm trusting him. It takes real faith to trust in God's weapons. But you know something? Demons fear God's weapons. You only have to go to the Gospels to see that. What they fear the most is prayer and quoting word for word God's word in our scriptures. How to trust your weapons in this war? Because if you're a soldier you got to trust your weapons because you can't say, okay, I'm going to fight this tank. <laughs> Stop. That's not going to do it. You need to recognize that we are in a very real spiritual battle. You need to pick up your weapons and learn how to use them. Learn how to use them. Not just say, I have the weapons. Recognize that we will lose if we fight with our own weapons and our own power, our own thinking, our own logic, our own reasoning. It's got to be shaped by God's word. Recognize that God's dynamite power can work through us if we rely upon him and allow him to work through us. That's a hard part to do because our subconscious, our conscious the whole world's pressuring us not to trust it. Recognize that reliance depends upon our relationship and understanding of our God. I stress this. Study, prayer, application. You need it desperately. Recognize that we must believe by faith that we can bring down every stronghold. 